Welcome to the EquipCast for the Archdiocese of Omaha. Designed to help leaders to transform their cultures, to embody the pastoral vision, to be one church, encountering Jesus, equipping disciples, and living mercy. Welcome, everybody. My name is Jim Jansen. I am the Director of Pastoral Services here at the Archdiocese of Omaha. We have a fantastic show today for you on the EquipCast. Andy Deka is here with us. We're going to talk about what it means to have a clear path of discipleship in a parish or a ministry. This is such a cool concept. All of my strategic nerdiness is probably going to come out today. So apologies in advance, but I think you're going to love it. If you do like what you hear today and you want to continue hearing from us, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast. You can find us on Apple and Stitcher and Google, all the major platforms. Just search for EquipCast, all one word, subscribe, and you'll never miss an episode. And if you want to be a part of the conversation, and I think you really might want to today, I think this is going to spurn some questions and some good conversation. If you want to join that conversation, go to our blog at equip.archomaha.org. There you can find resources and show notes, and we're going to put a couple of cool articles that I think you're going to want to check out after this episode. But you can subscribe there, and you'll get notified every time we post uh, a new blog and release a new episode. And we really want you to join the conversation. We do this as a gift to you for our ministry leaders, for missionary disciples, those of you who are really trying to advance the kingdom of God in your little sphere of influence. We want this to be a gift from you, so please let us know what is helping and questions and comments. I'm joined today by my co-host, Father Jeff Lorig. He is in Midtown Omaha at his new parishes, St. Joan of Arc and St. Thomas More. Uh, Father, how are you doing? Doing well. I'm here uh, in the Westgate neighborhood at St. Joan of Arc. I don't know if they technically would consider themselves Midtown, but uh, I don't know. Omaha's getting bigger and bigger every day. Yeah, Midtown, so. yeah. I mean, when the cathedral was built, people were freaked out. It was so far west. <laughs> <laughs> on what? what? What street? You were at cathedral for a while. What street is the cathedral on? 40th and coming. 40th. Yeah, way out west at 40th. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. For those of you who are not from Omaha who are listening, I think the city of Omaha's boundaries are now well over 200th Street West. So. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. For, sorry for the inside joke there. but uh, Yeah. Okay. So we are joined today, frequent guest, friend, and co-laborer here in the vineyard, Mr. Andy Deka from the Archdiocese of Omaha. He's the uh, coordinator of parish and adult evangelization. Andy, how you doing? I'm doing really good. Thanks for having me today. Just really excited for our topic today. So today we're going to talk a little bit about a clear path of discipleship, which is a, a really cool concept. It's this idea that as the Lord works in the hearts and minds of God's people, he's attentive to the needs of individual, but the process of conversion and growth in maturity and eventually taking on mission, that it it tends to kind of follow a, a process and that as much as we can, we want to design the ministries and programs of our parishes or the particular steps in our ministries We want to design those things to help people encounter the Lord more quickly, grow into maturity, and take their place as a laborer in the vineyard 
Andy, why does a clear path for discipleship matter? If a ministry is going to be fruitful, if a parish is going to be missional, why is that important? I think as I'm reflecting on the need for a clear path, it really goes back to the Great Commission that Jesus left us with. Um, Doesn't everything? (laughs) That's right. Or at least most of our conversations. That's right. He gave the disciples this commission to go and, and make disciples. And that's a commission. It's not a strategy. So parishes have to, if they're going to take up this call to make disciples in their communities, then reflecting on, well, what's a strategy that we can use to carry this out? And it's not something that that we need to invent or come up with on our own. Because like you said, this comes from the, the wisdom of the church, you know, reflecting on this process of evangelization and catechesis. I've been excited because the, the new revised copy of the general directory for catechesis just came out. And it talks about this process of evangelization. It's Nerd alert. Yeah, you're yeah, the only right. one who's excited about this. Oh, I just the directory for catechesis came out. Oh my gosh. Where's the popcorn? <laughs> it Sorry, talks God. about uh, this process as unfolding in slow stages. Right. And it, it lists off bearing witness, right, by by the way that we live our life in union with Christ, proclaiming the gospel explicitly. And then initiating new converts into the life of Christ and nourishing them with the sacraments and then sending disciples out on mission. Right? So it kind of outlines this progression of what the growth in faith looks like. Well, Andy, it sounds like the church has outlined many times, but now again, more recently, this general pattern of growth. What does it mean for a ministry or for a parish to then create a clear path of discipleship in a programmatic or systematic way? I think it really comes down to asking this question of ourselves. Each ministry, the parish as a whole, the pastor, are we ready to receive people at any point in the journey at any time of the year? Our mission is to evangelize, to make disciples. And it's this recognition that people are at just at different points in that process. Right? Some are, are really far away from the Lord. They don't have, maybe they don't even know a Catholic that they trust. Others have been Catholic their whole lives, and they're in a completely different place. So the way that we come alongside them and help them to grow and take their next step is going to be different based on where they're at in that journey. You know, I have to be honest, Andy, as you say that, like, my heart kind of breaks because I I instantly went back to stories of good friends. They approached their local parish, and they said, hey, I think I want to be Catholic. And they're like, oh, that's fantastic. Come back in August. They're like, but it's September. (laughs) Yeah, and they're like, well, sorry, I mean, we already started our process, and that's kind of an extreme example, and I might be exaggerating a little bit, but I think all of us know, it's like, oh, sometimes that's that's actually not too far from the truth, where we find ourselves ill-equipped to meet people where they're at. How uh, is this different than what we're already doing? I'm just going to play devil's advocate and just say, okay, a clear path, people go and grow naturally or supernaturally through a process. Our church certainly provides baptism prep, marriage prep, RCAA, mass, schools, all kinds of things. Fish fries. Fish fries, invitational church. I don't know. Name it, you know. So are you saying we have to do it differently? That we have, like, there's already a clear path um, where, like, people, they just kind of have to find their way. and, And there's a path. And you just hope that they get invited to the right things. And are you saying that we would have to do things differently? What's wrong with the strategy we have now? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think the answer is yes and no, right? Because what we've been doing, just thinking about RCIA, 
you know, the church talks about the catechumenal process as what should inform all of our efforts of evangelization and catechesis. And in some ways we are doing that already. But there was a, a new document that came out. This is another document uh, <laughs> that just came out that I'm excited about from the Congregation for the Clergy, where it uses this phrase of a mystagogical itinerary, which is a, a billion dollar phrase, which is talking about how we lead people into the mystery of Christ. And it uses this phrase itinerary, which I love because it suggests that this is a planned process. The journey is planned. There are concrete steps along the way and that we're actually guiding people through that process in a very uh, intentional way. And I think that's more the part that's missing is how are the ministries that we have at our church connected intentionally and how are we communicating that in a very clear way to people at, so that they know this is how I can get involved. This is the next step that I can take. It's not always individualized in a helpful way. So it seems to be that there's always this word at the beginning of a path for discipleship, which is clear, that -hmm. it's not fuzzy. Like, well, just kind of figure it out on your own and maybe you'll get invited to a cursio. Maybe you'll get invited to a marriage encounter. But the the parish would have a very clear, well-defined path and then it's communicated and that everybody from top to bottom knows what that path is to grow in discipleship. Would that be right? Yeah, I think that's it, that there's clarity in the process. Well, our parishes often, and this is such a beautiful thing, they develop very clear, distinct cultures. They become families. But when you're not a part of that family, if you're not a part of that culture, I mean, just imagine the time where you've been invited to a new family's house. Like one of the first questions, usually if you're there for any period of time, you're like, I'm, I'm sorry, excuse me, where's the bathroom? Because you're not from there. You don't know where things are. And, and you don't necessarily know the inside jokes and the language. And having a clear path of discipleship allows people in our community to understand how to navigate our communities. Assuming, right, that, that we've recognized that in the first place that our communities exist to help people encounter Jesus, grow in maturity as disciples, and then take their place in the mission field. Yeah, and sometimes our parishes have so many good offerings, and so many different ministries that you could be a part of, right? Those can sometimes get published in a giant ministry handbook, you know, that have over 100 different ministries, and that gets delivered to somebody at their welcome meeting, right? And that's not always a helpful experience for people, because they don't know where to start. They don't know where they, where they fit in. There's not a clear invitation, you know, start here, and so people can easily get lost. It's kind of the, I like to think of it as the kind of a Netflix phenomenon where there's just hundreds of different options and I can never find what I want to watch, right? So it paralyzes a person when there's so many options and there's not a clear starting place. Well, and not every option is right for every person at every period or stage of their spiritual journey. Mm-hmm. And I've never seen even those hundred page, you know, cool ministry guidebook, here's how to get involved. I've never seen one that helps people self-diagnose what's going to be right for them in the journey. I mean, it seems like whoever's loudest or whoever, you know, makes friends with the secretary gets the most space in the bulletin or on the bulletin boards. So I just want to make sure that we know what we're talking about, because I think there's a lot of insider Um, talk just in the chancery about what a clear path is. And I'm fairly sure nobody else knows what it means. And so I think it's really important to keep clarifying what Mm -hmm. this clear path is. And because it's, 
it's a really new concept. I was even talking to uh, some, an evangelization guy who works in the chancery in Seattle. And I mentioned this concept of clear path. He's like, I've never heard of that. That's, that's fascinating. I, that's, I really like it. So I, I think another way to maybe recognize it in, in other churches, if you ever go to an evangelical church, you'll see a, a tab on their website that says next steps. And that, that would be like, okay, how do I get started? Mm-hmm. And if I'm not ready to start it, here, maybe there's another place where I can fit in. So I think that's kind of what we're talking about. But also I think implied in this is that part of the strategy is to move people from one step to the next. Is that how you would describe it, Andy? Yeah, I think that's right. I like to think of it as just bringing everyone to maturity in Christ. That involves a movement, movement from the place that I am now to a place of deeper intimacy with Christ. And we haven't always kept that at the forefront. Right? This idea that we have a call to holiness, there's a call to mission, and that involves a closer relationship with Christ. I know some of our listeners are probably more familiar with this than others, but part of the work that Andy and I and others here in the pastoral services team have been doing is we're trying to help parishes begin to think through how does our community move people into maturity? How do we help people get equipped for mission? And where do people access us from the very beginning? And oftentimes what happens is there's huge gaping holes that one part of the discipleship journey tends to be well attended to. There tends to be a lot of programming. And then other stages of the journey, there's almost no ministry or no effort whatsoever. And it's sometimes a laborious process. But as people begin to recognize that, either in a particular ministry or in a large-scale parish, it often is a very lights-on moment. It's like, oh, no wonder there's no new people around here. We don't have anything to welcome new people. We don't have anything to seek them out. And when they happen to show up, they get lost in all of the wonderful offerings. And if they happen to try one and not get overwhelmed, What's the likelihood that that one is actually going to fit their spiritual journey? And I think it really was teased out in our episode on the digital church, episode 15, where we were talking about online mass and how as Catholics, we sort of lament that, like we're incarnational. But when you look at the strategy of the online mass or any sort of online church, the idea is to move them from online to in-person. And maybe it's not mass, maybe it's something else, maybe it's some sort of retreat or maybe it's an email course or something like but the whole idea is to get them to engage to take a next step of a little bit further commitment and you can't expect people to sign up for the latin mass and nnfp on on day one it might just be sort of like maybe just click this button and so that's where i think was teased out and i think the primary question we asked in that episode was before you define what your strategy is for online, you need to figure out what your strategy is for in person. If you have no strategy to move people in person, then more likely you won't have a strategy for online either. And so I think it just reemphasizes this is a theme of evangelization, moving people from one step to the next. And I know focus, I'm not a focus missionary, but I, I've studied it enough and hung around you guys enough to know that you don't always invite people to that conference on day one. You invite them to a barbecue and even probably, I don't even know if there's a step before that where you probably just, I don't, I don't know. You put a poster up or (laughs) there's a steps, right? You take people from step to step, coffee, coffee to Bible study, mass conference, give your life to Jesus. Father, I love 
you're bringing this up because all of this, I mean, really what we're talking about is really foundational concepts for evangelization. And really, I mean, it's again, referencing some of those documents. This is the heart of the pastoral conversion that Pope Francis has been calling us to and Pope Benedict and John Paul II before him is that we need to begin to think anew how do we engage those who have not yet found the pearl of great price? And being attentive to our language and our customs and, and all the ways that people access uh, our communities, is it, it's a form of hospitality and it's pretty fundamental to actually being able to position ourselves to evangelize. So this is great. Andy, why don't you give us just a little bit of an overview and then we can kind of dive into a couple of the first steps here, but give us just like a quick high-level overview of the stages of a clear path of discipleship. Yeah, we tend to boil it down into four main steps. The first being relational outreach, which is the efforts of a parish to meet people who don't yet have a relationship with Christ and to build trust and really to arouse wonder at the way that, the way that we live as Christians, which is different from the way that the world lives witnessing to the love of Jesus and inviting them into the next step, which is uh, a conversion engine, which we talked about in a previous episode. Conversion engine really being the, the effort to proclaim just the basic message of the gospel and invite people to accept, accept the message of Jesus, accept him, uh, and begin following him as a disciple in the midst of his church. And then step three is uh, what we call discipleship formation. So once someone has accepted Jesus, they become his disciple, they've turned from their former way of life and begin following him, then they really need to be established in the life of the community, they need to be established in the life of the sacraments, and, and begin building good habits of uh, a Christian life. From there, they, they become missionaries. So missionary initiative is the fourth step that we've identified, uh, which is sending disciples out to evangelize both through their words and, and through their witness. So identifying people's charisms, helping them to um, discover their mission field, the people that they're most uniquely suited to serve. For some people, that's going to be serving as evangelists in you know, actually doing the relational outreach. For others, they're going to be catechists and teachers. So it's about a full discovery of the baptismal gifts. Okay, so we've got these four steps, relational outreach, conversion engine, kind of discipleship formation and missionary initiative. Let's dive in a little bit more to that first step, relational outreach. What is it? What does it look like? What's going on there? I think another way to describe relational outreach is pre-evangelization. So if we think about evangelization as proclaiming the basic message of the gospel, proclaiming Jesus, there's something that needs to happen first for people to even be receptive to hearing that message. So relational outreach is something that's it's very personal. It involves, you know, who is, who is this person in front of me? What are their concerns? What are their motivations? You know, what's driving them? What are they caught up in? And it's trying to really understand that person in front of me. And once that ground has been established, right, once I've been able to build trust and, and begin to arouse questions in that person's heart and point to uh, a new way of living, then I can invite them to a deeper life with Christ. I think one example that sticks out to me is Mother Teresa 
and the work that she did with the missionaries of charity because she was so concerned with loving the people in front of her, her care for the poor and for the unwanted. When she picked up a person off the streets and stared into their eyes, like it was the face of Jesus. So they encountered this, this love and mercy that the world never gave them. So I think that's really what we're trying to do with relational outreach. Before the proclamation, even the proclamation of Christ, it's people encounter the love of Christ through us. I think it's, uh, we always face this when we do the mentorship program where I come in and I want to teach about an organizational structure that's invitational. But the only way you can have an organization that's invitational is if you have people who are invitational. And so it's not a either or, it's a both and. So it'd be awesome if your organization was structured in such a way that it was invitational, but it only happens if people really understand how to do it and how to love people right in front of them and to invite them to move in a certain way. Yeah, I mean, there's concrete things that you can do, like shout out for St. Pius Parish that had a whole year dedicated to hospitality and they thought about their greeters and they thought about their signage and they thought about all of these really cool concrete manifestations to communicate to people that they're welcome and to make sure that they actually were welcoming. But the only people that think about making sure that people feel welcome are people who have themselves had that that conversion to be invitational or to be hospitable. What are some of the principles that govern this? And then maybe in a little bit, we can give super concrete examples. But what are the principles here for relational outreach to work? Yeah, I think really just back to the focus example that we touched on, this witness of building friendships, of being interested in the things that the people you're trying to evangelize are interested in. That reminded me of a quote from the late Cardinal George, you will never evangelize what you do not love. And so if we don't have a love for the people that we're trying to evangelize, if we don't have a love for the things that they love, right, if we can't find value in the things that they value, we're not going to be an effective bridge to the gospel. And so it's kind of a a pithy phrase, but I, I, I just love it, where we need to talk to Jesus about our friends before we talk to our friends about Jesus. So that Jesus is actually giving us his heart for them, because we're not going to be able to love them effectively if we don't have his heart. So people need to feel that we actually care about them as individuals. They need to feel that we love them. And, and that's what really, that's what builds trust, right? When it's, when it's disinterested, I'm not trying to manipulate you. So yeah, and to be clear, so if I ask you for like, so how do I fake it if I don't actually love them? You're not gonna give me an answer to that question, are you? Right. <laughs> So, but yeah, you're saying like, no, actually, if you don't love someone, don't fake it. Go to the Lord and let him give you his love for them. We didn't say it explicitly, but I think often what is a characteristic of those who are in these very beginning stages of the spiritual journey is they don't, they don't have a relationship with the Lord yet. They don't have a relationship with his community yet, with the church as an institution or, or a gathering. And there's often a big gap of trust. And trust is not quickly or, or easily built. It requires listening and love and patience. Yeah, I'd love to give an example just from my time out in Seattle when I worked at a parish out there. Um, we had Sherry Waddell come in from the Catherine of Siena Institute, and she helped us to organize an experience, a day-long experience, where we invited some members from our parish community and some people from outside the parish community, people that weren't Catholic, to come in and share the story of their lived relationship with God, however they describe that. 
We also asked them, if you could ask God any question and get an answer, what would you want to know? Mm-hmm. So those are the two questions that guided these kind of interviews that we had with, with people. And one of the guys that we reached out to as a parish was the leader of an atheist group in the Seattle area and had no expectation that he was going to show up at all. But sure enough, he, he was interested. I think he was intrigued that we even cared about his opinion. And at the end of the day, he stood up and thanked everyone because he said it was the first time that he ever felt welcome in a Catholic church, simply because we listened, we had a dialogue with him. And I know that if we had tried to be charismatic, you know, if we had tried to preach the gospel intentionally or craft an experience, it would have damaged trust. He would have felt manipulated. But at the end, he was just invited to come and continue the dialogue by coming to Alpha. And he accepted that invitation. And I don't know where he's at in the story because this is after I left, but he ended up sticking with Alpha through the weekend retreat on the Holy Spirit. So I know that he was experiencing something through that. And there's, there's no way, you know, without the invitation, without the, the experience of the dialogue, that he would have even considered that. That's a beautiful story. And I, I think it highlights part of the reason why it's hard to do relational outreach in a really programmatic way because everybody is so individual. This is a stage in the journey where people, of course, this is true in every stage, but people particularly need to feel like they're known. They need to feel like they belong. They need to be listened to. And it's hard to do that. We tend to be children of the industrial revolution. We want to do that in mass. And it's hard to do that in assembly line fashion. It's hard to listen and like, hey, okay, do you feel cared for next? Don't you think, I mean, alpha only works if the people in the pews know how to reach people outside of the walls. Yeah, there is a program, but it's really, it doesn't work unless people feel empowered or equipped or even love people enough to invite them to something. So it has to be, the invitation is always going to be one-on-one. I mean, I can make nice graphics and a nice website and, and do all those things. And, and, but those don't matter nearly as much as, as if I can get people in the pews to say, I think I love my neighbor enough to say, hey, have you thought about Alpha? Just come to one night. Even before that, it's more like, hey, would you like to come over for a barbecue? Or, hey, can I get your paper for you? I've been uh, in the habit of making sure that I smile when I cross the street on Grover. <laughs> I don't know. Just I'm smiling and I wave at every car. It's sort of a small town thing. And then I'm like, I want people to experience what, whenever that priest walks across that street, they get away from me and I'm smiling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Even if you somehow make an invitation, people respond to invitations when they feel cared for and they trust the person who's made the invitation. Because unquestionably, we're inviting them to something that's new and perhaps a little bit foreign. So let's get tangible here. Andy, what does this look like concretely? Like, you know, we've seen a number of places that have begun to very concretely embody these principles of listening and caring for individuals and reaching out to people and meeting them right where they're at with the gift of uh, friendship and, and relationship. Let's talk about some concrete examples. Yeah. So one that comes to mind is... St. Philip Neary, right here in Omaha. My father has been telling me about their St. Vincent de Paul group and how they give him so much encouragement because when they go out and they go door to door on visits, they spend time praying with people. They spend time uh, just in dialogue, right? Just having conversations. And they're truly, they're truly evangelizing in that way, right? They're building trust with the, with the parish, with the Catholic community. And 
yeah, it's, it's just so encouraging to see people taking that personal approach to actually interacting one-on-one and face-to-face because every, everyone that we're trying to evangelize has a name and they have, they have a face, right? And I think a lot of times we end up trying to dream from inside our parish walls about outreach and we're not actually in contact with the people that we're trying to, trying to reach. And so getting outside of the walls and actually getting into contact uh, with some of those people. I know, you know, we're not aware of the westward shift of poverty just here in, in Omaha. There's been pockets of poverty that have been just continuing to, to move westward into areas that are, you know, suburban. So you have these, mm-hmm. these very wealthy areas next to very poor areas. And so for a parish to, to be aware of that, to take stock and to understand the realities of their community I think is really a first step in providing that relational outreach. Because if you don't know the people, you're not going to be able to serve them effectively. I love that. One of my favorite examples, Craig Dyke, the uh, family life director here for the Archdiocese, talks about a parish that he was a part of that used a men's softball league as a relational outreach. So they knew like, man, we're not going to get these guys to come to a retreat. And the poverty that they had was a little bit more spiritual. It was a loneliness. It was a little bit of that kind of quiet desperation, but they loved softball. So a number of men who were deeply passionate about their relationship with Jesus and softball decided to start a men's softball league. And so they invited these guys, coworkers, neighbors, and the conversations that would happen in the dugout, the conversations that would happen later on over beer and wings they initially started, you know, just guys, superficial sports, whatever, but eventually they get deeper. And as, as real relationships develop, people would begin to say like, you know, I'm just, I'm not sure what to do about, about, you know, the, the challenge my wife and I are experiencing in our relationship. And, and suddenly, suddenly the conversations, because there was a real relationship and real friendship, the conversations would naturally turn to, to more spiritual matters. And the men who were playing on that team were, you know, not in a creepy way, but they were, they were prepared for that. They were very mature and equipped as disciples, and they knew how to, how to begin to draw people to the other members of the parish community, to the programs and ministries uh, that could help them take the next step in their spiritual journey. But that was only because they created a situation where they could actually develop real friendships. In this case, it just happened to be softball. Yeah, I use a couple examples often when I talk about an invitational or relational outreach. And sometimes it's not always an invitation to a relationship. So let me give you the example. So I was at Cathedral for three years in in residence, and they had no strategy for evangelization, although they got Christ life going on now. But, But basically, they always had plenty of people in RCA, you know, without really doing a whole lot. They give a few announcements at the beginning of the Mass, and next thing you know, you'd have a pretty decent size class. It was pretty amazing. And the reality is that people just kind of showed up at Cathedral because of the beauty and the, the beauty of the, the liturgy of the, obviously, it's a beautiful church, one of the most beautiful cathedrals in North America, I think. And, and of course, they have a higher standard of music. So if you go to the 930 Mass at Cathedral, it's elevated to a place of full choir, sometimes instruments. Of course, you have this big, beautiful organ. And I know not, the organ's not for everybody, but it's, it's the right mix of everything in that church. So I would often invite people to encounter beauty mm-hmm. at the cathedral. 
if I didn't think that was going to be up their alley, then I would invite them to Sacred Heart in North Omaha, like the exact opposite type of church. I knew if they were going to go to cathedral, they'd encounter beauty. I knew if they were going to go to Sacred Heart, they would be known. You can't get away. It's like going to the buckle. You can't go to the buckle without somebody talking to you. (laughs) (laughs) That's your challenge this week. Go to Sacred Heart and try to get out of there without anybody talking to you. You will be known. Someone will want to know who you are. It's beautiful. And so I would often in confessional, I would send people over there because they felt disconnected from their church, the kind of the cold feel of, mm-hmm. of a parish some days. And I would say, mm, go to North Omaha. It's not what you think. You will be loved, I promise. Well, and I would say even, Father, even though your example of cathedral is not as much relational and it's more like beauty, there's a great intentionality on the cathedral's part in the way they lean into beauty. You can see the effort and the meticulous planning that goes into the liturgy. And I'm just like, gosh, who's ever on the liturgical community that decorates for the seasons? It's always so beautiful and so tasteful. I would think that'd be an incredible challenge. I mean, how do you take a place like Cathedral and make it more beautiful? Yet they always do. And it all seems to fit together. That's Brother William. That's Brother William. William. God bless Brother William. So there's an intentionality there and you can see it. Yeah. Yeah. And Marie, our organist certainly has that as well. I think she's a listener. So shout out to Marie that, you know, that's the intention. But also I would say there's another example of uh, inviting people to that choir. And I think Marie will really appreciate this because she's given me several examples of, you know, they'll, they'll take anybody for that choir. If you can sing, but what happens in that choir is community. Anybody who can sing, Father. Anybody you know, who can sing. I know. That's why I didn't, I didn't get to join. Uh, <laughs> no, I just, Marie tells a lot of stories how that group becomes a family and she prays oh. with them and she walks with them. And uh, some people discover a relationship with Christ because of that experience of singing the beauty of the liturgy, but also being exposed to a loving community as well in the choir. Okay. I think people hopefully have kind of a picture here. Let me ask, like, I've got some difficult questions here. Question number one, like, how do you keep this from being more than just uh, hospitality that never leads anywhere, right? Where it's just like, hey, welcome to our church. And then we never talk about Jesus or we never invite people to conversion. How do you make sure that this step actually goes somewhere? I think you, know, you use the word uh, invite, right? It has, to be, it has to be intentional. Part of the clear path of discipleship is that it's, uh, that it's integrated, that it is a path, that there's an itinerary that, that has next steps, right? So that's part of it, uh, is that you're very intentional about having one thing lead to the next. I think another is having missionary disciples who are involved with the hospitality. In the softball example, you mentioned that that the people leading that effort were disciples themselves who had uh, a relationship with Christ and had a view of the the path. They had a view of the end goal. Where are we trying to lead these people? And so they had some level of maturity there where they could identify for for those individuals. What is the next step that this person can take? And because the parish, if they had some step, then they're able to make that concrete invitation. So you're saying it's not enough to have ministries and programs that serve people at each stage in the journey, but people have to know what those ministries and programs are, which Father, I think, talks about what you hit on earlier. Like the path has to be clear. Everybody has to know, here's step one in this community in Thomas More. Here's step one. Here's step two. People have to know what the next step is. 
and they actually need someone who personally accompanies or invites or helps get them in contact with that next step. Yeah, I think another way to think about it is people process programs, right? So we're at the service of people primarily, right? Of of individuals. We're trying to help individuals grow in their relationship with God. In order to do that, we need a process, which is the clear path of discipleship. This is the process of how, how our parish moves those people or helps them move, accompanies them in their, in their growth. And then we have particular programs that make up that process, but the programs have to be at the service of the process and the process has to be at the service of the people. So it always comes back to the individual. Gosh, Andy, that's fantastic. I know. <laughs> I was just going to say, I agree. It. It's like, I've read the book, you know, there is a book I'm re- reading on the clear path called simple church. And I think I'm kind of an expert. I kind of know it. You know, I've, I've been doing it. And then I, then Andy just schools me. I'm like, oh, that's a really good way of putting things. So yeah. this is awesome. Thanks, Andy. Yeah. Your tax dollars hard at work. People of Archdiocese <laughs> of Omaha. Andy's, Andy is here for you. <laughs> no, I, I was thinking, uh, as you were talking, you know, we, we said parish, 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 but this is true for a youth ministry, for religious education, for anything. I mean, I think about in a youth ministry context, it, youth ministry kind of has to, because depending on when your kids are confirmed, they oftentimes don't have a carrot where anybody has to come. And so youth ministry is forced to be attentive to this process. So oftentimes good youth ministries they spend a lot of time in, you know, setting up a sand volleyball tournament or having a dance or having like a, you know, a, a canoe trip to, to have moments where people can have a really easy first step, where they can begin to make friends, they can develop some relationships. And then good youth ministry programs, often after some of those fun relationship buildings, they have a retreat where people are, are able to encounter the Lord. And the really exceptional youth ministry programs have have the next steps as well, where those people are grown and matured as disciples and then equipped for their own personal mission. Does the youth ministry have a different path or how does it, this is where I'm kind of struggling in my own, I'm trying to create a clear path for Thomas More and St. Joan of Arc. And I am focused on adults. And even with the schools, the, the schools are part of it or the, religious ed in the school, but it's really about inviting relationship building and then inviting those parents to alpha at some point. But then I just, I kind of just forget the kids I'm like, well, you know, you can just be there. <laughs> you know, we'll, we'll provide those things, but I don't really have a clear path. I'm like, just, can you help me with that? Andy, can you give yeah. me some insights here? Yeah. I think, that the pathway for the youth has to mirror the pathway for the adults as well. And definitely, I've, I think the what you talked about in terms of placing the, the focus on the adults is very important. I've known some parishes that have had, you know, even just talking about relational outreach, right? So they have a, a relational outreach for the adults and for the, the kids, but those kind of intersected in alpha, right? So they had, so there's like a big youth group event, right, for the kids, but then there's an alpha. The parents are going through the alpha at the same time. And then there's a crossover event where the parents get to discuss with their kids in small groups what they're learning. And so there's, there are times where they're separate, but then they're also intersecting and they're following, they're following a similar pathway, if that makes sense. Yeah, thanks. There's probably more thought that needs to go into that as we kind of continue to develop this here in the archdiocese. Yeah, that's fantastic. 
Andy, this is a little bit more, a little bit more of a granular question, but you know, we said earlier, okay, missionary disciples are kind of the key to making this work, to providing those connections and helping people move from one step to another. If we can just kind of get into the heart and mind and maybe fears that sometimes hold back our missionary disciples, I think I can hear, I can almost imagine some of our listeners saying like, okay, well, great. How do I know when I've played enough softball or how do I know when I've got a relationship strong enough to invite someone to the next step? I mean, we could do a whole show on this, but you know, if missionary disciples are the key to this, I think their, their freedom and discernment is, is, is paramount. So what would you say to the missionary disciple who's listening to this, who's wondering, man, like when, when can I invite them? Yeah, that's a good question. I think, yeah, we could have a whole episode maybe on this. I think what sticks out to me, though, right away is ultimately you don't know when someone is going to be ready, but you have to ask. The church talks about, you know, like I mentioned in the general directory, talks about this uh, process of evangelization as unfolding in slow stages, right? So even uh, thinking about RCIA, it says we should be ready for people to be in the pre-catechumenate for two years or three years, right? So this is before they're even really ready for the initial catechesis. So we should be prepared for this to take a while. But also I've been surprised by people that I thought they would never accept an invitation to come to a Bible study, but I invited them anyway and they came. So I think it's important not to say no for people, you know, that, that all we can really do is, is make the ask. And, you know, we're praying, we're asking the Holy Spirit to intervene in their life, but we're the ones that have to make that invitation. And at a certain point, just asking, asking people as the relationship has unfolded and they've revealed things about their life, they've revealed things about what they desire, what makes them happy, what they don't find fulfilling in their life. You know, that's a place where we can, we can say, do you know that Jesus offers more? You know, you've told me this about the way that, that you've been living. You've told me what, what you desire for your life. Do you know that Jesus offers that? And are you ready to take a next step? I I think it's not a coincidence that Jesus chose fishermen. And I think that's a good model to not be afraid of casting a net and just seeing, seeing what happens, you know, so, or scattering the seed, you know, everybody's familiar with the the parable of the sower and and you just see the sower just is kind of indiscriminate about where he's going to cast that seed and, and see where it lands. And then, let the Holy Spirit and good, rich soil do the rest. And, you know, I think as we maybe transition here, to the degree that we have been faithful to building trust or captivating people's attention with beauty, it, it is safe to make an invitation that's not accepted. I mean, I think of, I think of you know, one of our pastors in down here, Father Dave Belt. I love, he talks about his story as a young man at Wayne State, and he had a group of friends that invited him again and again and again to this retreat. And he's like, no, 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 no. But it was safe for them to continue to invite him because they were friends and, and he knew they loved them and they trusted each other. So as we begin to, to kind of like wrap things up here, we spent a whole episode, episode number 19 on a conversion engine. But just real quick, just highlight here, what is a conversion engine? Like what's happening in this stage? And then we'll pick up the next two stages in our next episode. Yeah, so a conversion engine is just an intentional effort by the parish to propose the gospel, the basic gospel, to introduce people to Jesus, to his claims, to to his promises, 
and then to invite them to make a response that hopefully leads in their in their conversion. Okay, so some like concrete examples of that, what would that look like in terms of a ministry or a program? Yeah, so a lot of the ones that we we recommend and, and coach parishes in are Alpha, Discovering Christ, small groups. We've developed an encounter, Lexio Bible study that we use with a lot of groups through the Lenten small group initiative and, you know, that our archdiocese puts on. And then things like CCO, Catholic Christian Outreach, has a, a great series that starts with a very gospel-centered first study. Another small group resource. Yep. Yeah. And I think retreats too, oftentimes, whether it's a, a Lenten mission that really proclaims the gospel or even something outside of the parish, like the CEC retreats, Curcio or Christians Encounter Christ, those often can be intentionally leveraged by a parish to help people have that, that moment of encounter and decision. Well, we're going to come back next episode. We'll talk about the next two parts of a clear path of discipleship, discipleship formation and missionary initiative. We'll talk about what do you do to help people grow and mature after they've had an encounter with Christ, made a commitment, and really had that grace of conversion. What's next after that? So Andy, thanks for being with us. And uh, everybody come back for our next episode.